Well, thanks so much for joining us on this Palm Sunday weekend. Uh, we just appreciate you, uh, you joining us online, inviting us into your homes. Uh, you know, this has been a challenging time. We know that for our country and individually, but I, gotta, I just have to tell you that uh, I've never been more thankful for and more proud of our church. You guys have been amazing. Your, your, your giving, your serving, uh, your encouragement to so many people, your generosity, it's just been amazing. And uh, I, I just wanted to show you, I wanted to start by showing you uh, some, some pictures of some things that have happened uh, this week at the Bible Chapel. Th this week in our uh, cafe, uh, they fixed a hundred mills, over a hundred mills. And here's some people uh, in the FLC putting those mills together. But here's the cool thing. There were these volunteers, many of you, here you are lined up in our parking lot. Look at the cars lined up in the parking lot. Here are the volunteers picking up those, those mills and delivering it to homes. That is so cool that you guys would be willing to do that. And uh, one individual who received a mill, she said this, thanks you so much. Just had my food delivery and I'm amazed and blessed and so grateful. Today was rough and I'm not getting much sleep at night on the couch while the husband is quarantined in the bedroom. This is just so amazing, and thank you. I, I will stop crying. She says, I will stop crying soon and make dinner. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's also uh, uh, very neat to see our Facebook group. Uh, they did a thing uh, last couple of weeks called Walk or Chalk the Walk. And uh, a lot of kids went outside and here's uh, Ephesians chapter six, let the Lord make you strong and depend on his mighty power. And, and uh, a lot of kids wrote these on the, on the driveway and, and on, the, on the street and on the sidewalk. Here's another one. Uh, God is in control, Philippians four, six, and seven. How can we pray for you? And I, I was told by that family that several, neighbors walked by and, and they offered a prayer request. Uh, and, and this family was able to pray for their neighbors. A lot of you have been joining each other in community online through Zoom or, or other um, uh, ways in which uh, you have gotten on the computer screen and just interacted with each other. And we've seen a lot of these pictures coming in. I think this is a huddle group of some guys getting together. So, so neat to see, even though we're staying at home, that you are interacting together and, and just encouraging each other. Again, I got to tell you, it is a privilege uh, to, to minister with you. It's a privilege to do this together. And we're, we are the Bible Chapel family. And we're, we are going to get through this thing. And we're going to get through it together. Uh, one of the things I wanted to remind you about is uh, uh, Wednesday at 6.30, we have our prayer time, fantastic time to come and, and pray for the needs of the church. You can send your requests in. So that's 6.30 on Wednesday, biblechapel.org. Also want to remind you that Dave and I will continue the 12.15 devotionals. And this week, we're going to be kind of a, a virtual journey to the cross. We're going to be looking at what Jesus was doing every day during the week as he made his way uh, to the cross. Also want to remind you that Good Friday uh, coming and the, and the campus pastors will be doing a campus devotional for their campus specifically. You can find that on uh, your Facebook group page. And then we're doing a church-wide service uh, here at the church, 6.30, not here at the church. We're going to be here at the church, but you're going to be home and uh, we're going to meet you in your homes at 6.30 uh, where we'll experience uh, creation to the cross through scripture and, and song and, and Rick Buter and the whole worship team's been working working on that. It's going to be a fantastic time to come and just, and just remember 
who Jesus is and what he did for us. So let's pray and ask God for his help as, as we just thank God for, for our family, uh, the Bible Chapel and what God is doing among us. And then we're gonna end in the Lord's Prayer. And wherever you are, right there in your homes, wherever you're listening, wherever you're watching, just join in the Lord's Prayer. We're, we're separated, but we can say the Lord's Prayer together. Father, we thank you that you are God who loves us and cares for us. I thank you so much, Lord, for the Bible Chapel family. I thank you so much that you brought us together for such a time as this. I thank you for the encouragement, for the generosity, for the service, for the giving. I thank you, Father, that, that, that you have a group of people who are reaching out into their neighborhoods and community and sharing the message of Jesus Christ at a time when a world desperately needs Jesus. And I pray, Father, we will continue to be the hands and the feet of those reaching out and telling others about Christ. Father, we thank you that we can come. Thank you that we can worship. What a great time of worship we've had. And now, wherever we are, although separated together, we join in this prayer that Jesus, our Savior, taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. During the Easter season, we know that so many people engage and participate in the Christian faith. And, and even uh, during the challenges we're going through, more people are engaging and participating in the Christian faith. And we know, and we know that many who participate in the traditions of Easter don't understand the truth of Easter. Many who participate in the traditions of our faith don't understand the truths of our faith. Barna Research, uh, they did a study, what Americans believe about Jesus. And look at the study. First of all, the study said that uh, 92% of people said Jesus was a real person, 92%. Uh, 56% said that Jesus was God. Now the percentages are getting a little smaller. Jesus was sinless. 46% said that Jesus was sinless. Now here's an interesting one. 60% said they had a relationship with Jesus. 60% said at one point they made a commitment to Jesus. But of that 60%, only 62% said that Jesus is the only way to heaven. David Kinnaman is uh, a researcher, and here's what he said. Here are his conclusions. He, he said, these findings demonstrate the strong degree to which Jesus remains embedded in the minds of Americans. It's not surprising that Easter brings a range of Jesus-centered entertainment and media programming. Jesus has a built-in audience. This study also shows the extent of the Christian commitment in our nation. More than 150 million Americans say they have professed faith in Christ. This impressive number begs the question of how well this commitment is expressed. As much as our previous research shows, Americans' dedication to Jesus is, in most cases, a mile wide and an inch deep. Mile wide and an inch deep. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians as we continue our study 
through this chapter where Paul is discussing the resurrection. Uh, he has uh, gotten word that the Corinthian church is not doing so well. Uh, there's division in the church, sexual immorality in the church, marriage issues in the church, pride in the church. And one issue they have is this confusion about the resurrection. And Paul writes to them about all these issues, and he spends a whole chapter dealing with the essence of the resurrection. We started looking at this last week uh, as we moved through our series, as we started our series, Immovable, this Easter series, Immovable, changed by the one who doesn't. And Paul told us last time in the first 11 verses, there are three proofs that Jesus rose from the dead. The first proof is changed lives. He says, Corinthians, you knew who you were and you knew who you, who you, you know who you are and a dead savior doesn't do that transformation work in your life. The second thing is the work of Christ himself. He uses this earliest creed of the Christian church to say that Jesus died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he rose again from the dead according to the scripture. And there's, that's a historical document. People were there and they saw that. And then the third thing, the third proof that he gives is Jesus appeared alive. He appeared to, to Peter. He appeared to the disciples. He appeared to 500 people at one time. When Paul writes this letter, he says that he appeared to 500 people at one time. Some of them are still alive. If you wanna go talk to them, go talk to them. So the proof of the resurrection, that was one issue that the church had in Corinth. Some didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. Paul says, here's the proof. Now, the second thing, and this is interesting, there were those who believed that Jesus rose from the dead, but they didn't believe that Christians would also rise from the dead. Bodily resurrection of Christians. And so Paul addresses that beginning in chapter 12. Now, here's the interesting thing. And I honestly, I, I've seen this before when I studied this, but it hit me, it hit me harder this time. And this is what I just want to drive home. If we don't hear anything else, just hear this. Just think about it. The, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is, is intertwined with the bodily resurrection of believers. At a challenging time, just think about that. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we will too. And in a challenging time, that takes away fear. That gives us hope. Because we know that for a believer, there will be a bodily resurrection from the dead. And that's what Paul is going to argue in this passage. Now to be sure, just to be sure... When a person dies, when a believer dies, they are absent from the body, present with the Lord. The moment they die, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Their spirit, that part of them we know, their personality goes to be with the Lord, but their body stays here. So Paul is saying, we get that, the believer is in heaven, but what happens to the body? And Paul says that the bodily resurrection of Jesus and the bodily resurrection of believers are bound up together. I think this is, this is such an amazing truth. And again, I just wanna, I wanna drive this home today. The, 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 the bodily resurrection of Jesus, our bodily resurrection are intertwined together. Look at chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. Paul's, Paul says this. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say, 
there is no resurrection of the dead. If, if you say Jesus rose from the dead, how can you say that we as Christians don't rise from the dead? But if there's no resurrection from the dead, not even Jesus has been raised. And then look at verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. So again, this, this important truth, of the, this essential truth of the Christian faith, the, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is a package deal with the bodily resurrection of all believers. Now, Paul wants to drive that point home. So the first thing he says is, let's just pretend, let's just think, let's just imagine there's no resurrection. And Paul gives a little shock and awe here. He says, if there's no resurrection, if we don't have that, then there are four things that are going on uh, in the faith, and we got to be aware of these things. If there's no resurrection, then Jesus is a waste of time. Again, that sounds blasphemous with Paul saying it, but, but that's what he's saying. If there's no resurrection, then Jesus is a waste of time. If Christ uh, is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Look at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Just think about that. Our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. Paul says in, in 17, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. You are... Um, you are, you, you are trusting in Jesus and it's just a waste of time. Everything you believe is futile. And the proclamation of telling others about that is a waste. You're still in your sins. Jesus came, the Bible's clear, Jesus came to forgive our sins. Jesus came to die for our sins. His resurrection was a proof that his death satisfied the wrath of God. But Paul says if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead then you're still in your sins. You're just as much a sinner as you've always been. Secondly, Paul says, um, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Christians are spreading a lie. Look at verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. Man, you are out spreading a lie. We are the worst con artists of all time if, in fact, Jesus did not raise from the dead. Third thing, Paul says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then when you're dead, you're dead. Look at verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They are done. There's no need to put a tombstone on a grave. We should just put an exclamation mark on the grave and say, done. It's over. Uh, you cease to exist. You are done if there is no resurrection from the dead. And then the fourth thing Paul says is this. Everyone should, should laugh at us or feel sorry for Christians if, in fact, Jesus, if, in fact, there is no resurrection. Look at verse uh, 19. If in Christ, if in Christ, we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. Let's think about that. A lot of times people will say, well, you know what? Even if there's not a heaven, 
following Jesus is worth it because, you know, you're a person of character and a person of honesty, and Jesus is a great teacher and all that. Paul says, that's baloney. If, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we, he wasn't a good teacher because he said he was going to raise from the dead. He was going to conquer death. And if we believe him who didn't do what he said he was going to do, then we are of all people most to be pitied. So Paul says, no resurrection from the dead. Jesus is a waste of time. Christians are spreading a lie. When you're dead, you are dead. And everyone should laugh or feel sorry for Christians. Now, Paul goes through that hypothetical argument to just drive home the point, the importance of the resurrection. And he works so hard in this passage to to weave together the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of believers. It is a package deal. In verse 20 through 34, he starts to say there is a resurrection. Look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So since he has been raised from the dead, what are, what's the significance of that? What is the significance of the resurrection? Five things. Here's number one. First, there is more to come. More to come. Uh, look at verse 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is a, a, a great passage here because what Paul does, he goes back into the Old Testament and he, and he uh, looks at the Jewish harvest, the, the, the feast of harvest, the feast of the first fruits, where the Jewish uh, believer, they would harvest their crop and at, and at the beginning of the harvest, they would bring the very best of the crop, the first fruits, and they would bring it and sacrifice it to the Lord. And the priest would wave the first fruits by, to the Lord. And the priest would be saying this, God, you own this. This only came because of you. And we're giving you the best. And there is a great harvest to follow. And that's what Jesus is saying here about, about the believer. Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. And there is a great harvest to follow. Every believer who has ever lived one day will be raised bodily from the dead. The significance of the resurrection, man, there is more to come. Secondly, Paul says, death is defeated. Death is defeated. Look at verse uh, 21. Uh, as, uh, for as by man came death, by man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Now we know in Genesis chapter one and two, God made Adam and Eve and put them in a garden. He gave them everything they could ever want, everything they could ever need. He put a tree in the garden. And he said, there's just one thing, the tree in the middle of the garden, the day you eat it, you will surely die. The process of death is going to start. We know after Genesis 1 and 2 came what? Genesis 3, every time. And I'm glad you're not in here because you usually roll your eyes at me when I say that. After Genesis 1 and 2 comes Genesis chapter 3, every time. And Adam and Eve believed Satan. They believed a lie. They disobeyed God. They ate of the fruit. And right at that moment, sin entered the world. And the penalty of sin, death entered the world. In Adam, we all die. Like a poison at the beginning of the stream contaminates the entire stream. So uh, sin at the beginning of the human race contaminates us all. 
the, 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 spirit, the, the, the process of death begins. Spiritual death began. Separated from God, right there in Genesis 3. Physical death began. Now people start to die. Eternal death began. Because if you're separated from God and you don't get that fixed through Jesus, you are separated from him forever. Jesus came though. In Adam, all die. But in Jesus, all are made alive. He is the one who came. He's the one who died for our sins. He's the one who, who brings us into relationship with God. And God raised him from the dead. The third thing we see here, the significance of the, of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, all enemies are defeated. Look at verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. When Jesus comes again, he is going to destroy every disease. He's going to destroy every authority. He's going to destroy every ruler. He's going to destroy every power. He's going to destroy Satan himself. He is going then to take the finished product of this kingdom that he has restored and he's going to hand it to God the Father. Look at verse 28. While, in, while all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. Jesus is going to come back. He is going to defeat all the enemies and he is going to hand that finished product to the heavenly father. More to come. He's the first fruits. We're going to follow him. Death is defeated. All enemies are defeated. And then Paul says this. Paul says that if you believe that, now it gets to the application. If you believe that, it's going to change your behavior. So, so here's a question Paul puts before us. We believe Jesus was raised, right? And we believe that if Jesus was raised, we're going to be raised to life as well. So that changes the way we live. Now we live with hope. We live without fear. The slavery of sin is gone. And we have this confidence and assurance to know that one day our body is going to be raised from the dead and we're going to live with Jesus forever in heaven. Paul says in verse 30, this is why I do what I do. Why, are, why, why do I put myself in danger every hour, he says. I protest, brothers, but by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, I, I die every day. I am, I am putting my life on the line every day to share this message of Jesus. You see, I believe in the resurrection so much, so strongly, so certainly, that it changes the way I live. Look at verse 32. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought the beasts in Ephesus if there's no resurrection? Paul says, if the dead are not raised, then let us eat, drink, and, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Let, let us just do what the pagans do. Let's just grab for all the gusto we can get. There's no reason 
to make any sacrifices because it's going to be over. We just perish. But Paul says it's all different because Jesus did rise from the dead. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we as believers are going to follow him. The first fruits. We are going to be those who one day wake up and see our Lord face to face when we pass from death to life. And when Jesus comes again, death is going to be defeated once and for all. The last enemy defeated is death, Paul says. And our bodies are going to rise and they're going to join our spirits in the air and we are going to forever be with the Lord. You see, the significance of the resurrection is life without fear. We don't have to fear. We know that when we die, we're going to be with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And one of these days, one of these days, Christ is coming back because of his resurrection, because he has defeated every enemy, every enemy defeated subjected to him. He has defeated Satan, rulers, powers. It's all gone. And we're going to live with him forever in heaven in a resurrected body. Paul is telling us in this passage, so here's, here's what I want us to get from this passage. When we celebrate Easter, we are not just celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. We're celebrating our resurrection as well. When we celebrate Easter, when we're celebrating Easter today, it's not just the celebration of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Paul's saying he's just the first fruit. It's the kickoff. We're celebrating our resurrection. When we sing the songs that we've sung, the praises that we've sung, we are saying, Lord, I am going to be raised as well. Death has no uh, defeat of me. Death has no power over me because of my trust in Jesus Christ. And that, that changes everything, right? Paul says that changes the way we behave. That changes the way we live when we understand that the resurrection of Jesus and our resurrection go hand in hand. And nothing can ever change that. We're a child of God and will forever be living with the Lord forever in heaven, life without fear because of the resurrection. So we're going through a tough time now, right? And there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of death. But we know this, for the believer, we pass from death to life, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And one day, Christ is going to come again. And he's going to come with those who are already there, those who are with him in heaven. And the bodies of all believers are going to rise from the grave and join their spirits in the air. And we will forever be with the Lord. The significance of the resurrection. I want to end uh, with a story. There's a, um, a great book. You've probably read it. If you haven't, you need to get it. Case for Christ, Lee Strobel. And Strobel was a, an atheist. He uh, didn't believe in God at all. And he went out to, to prove that God didn't exist and in process uh, learned that God did, became a, 
Christian and as a pastor of a church and a great author as well. So he interviewed uh, different theologians regarding different aspects of apologetics of, of the life of Christ. And so he makes this, this case for, for Christ. And one of the theologians he interviews is a guy named Gary uh, Habermas. Uh, uh, Habermas is a theologian and a writer. And uh, he gets all this information from Habermas, but then it gets down to uh, a conversation that he had with Habermas on his, on his porch. Uh, Gary Habermas's uh, wife had died of cancer. And so listen to, listen to what Strobel says. He says, as I sat on our porch, he began looking off to the side at nothing in particular Habermas did. He sighed deeply and went on. My wife was upstairs dying. Except for a few weeks, she was home through it all. It was an awful time. This, this was the worst thing that could possibly happen. He turned and looked straight at me. But you know what? You know what was amazing? My students would call me, not just one, but several of them, and say, at a time like this, aren't you glad about the resurrection? As sober as those circumstances were, I had to smile for two reasons. First, my students were trying to cheer me up by my own teaching. And second, it worked. He says this, I knew if God would come to me and ask me only one question, Lord, why is, I would ask him this question, Lord, why is my wife up there in that bed dying? And I think God would respond by asking gently, Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? And I'd say, come on, Lord. You know, I've written several books on the topic. Of course, he was raised from the dead. But I want to know about Debbie. I want to know about my wife. And I think he'd come, keep coming back at me with the same question. Did I raise my son from the dead? Did I raise my son from the dead? Until I got the point. The resurrection says that if Jesus died and was raised 2,000 years ago, that's an answer to my wife's death in 1995. And you know what? It worked for me while I was sitting on that porch, and it still works today. It was a horribly emotional time for me, he said, but I couldn't get around the fact that the resurrection is the answer for her suffering. I still worried. I still wondered how I was going to raise four kids. But there wasn't a time when that truth didn't comfort me. Then he closes with this. Listen to this. Losing my wife was the most painful experience I have ever had to face. But if the resurrection can get me through that, it can get me through anything. It's good for 30 AD. It's good for 1995. It's good for 1998. And it's good beyond that. Habermas locked eyes with mine. And then he said this, that's not just some sermon. I believe it with all my heart. If there's a resurrection, there's a heaven. If Jesus was raised, my wife was raised. And I will be someday too. And then I'll see them both. The powerful significance of the resurrection. Jesus was raised 
from the dead, and we will be too. On this Palm Sunday, as we go through some challenging times, I just want you, I just want you to let that truth soak in that whatever goes on in our life, it's temporary. Jesus came. He died. He rose from the dead. And the significance of that means that we will rise from the dead as well. That we will spend eternity forever with God in heaven. We'll see our loved ones who have risen as well. We'll worship Jesus and we'll be able to enjoy heaven eternity with those we love so much. The significance of the resurrection is this. When we celebrate Easter, when we celebrate the immovable one, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we are also celebrating our resurrection. When we celebrate Easter and we think about the risen Lord, don't do that without thinking about our personal resurrection as well. And that allows us to live an immovable life, a life without fear, and a life full of hope, knowing the confidence we have in Jesus. So Father, that is our thanksgiving to you. Thank you for sending your son and doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Thank you that you raised Jesus from the dead. And because of that, we will be raised as well. And the significance, the powerful significance of that is we can live right now without fear and full of hope. We thank you for being the immovable one. We thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. And we thank you that when we die, we're going to be with you. And one day, you will raise us from the dead as well. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Redeem the whole creation You did not despise the cross
good till that stone was moved for good for the lamb had conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born then the spirit Hey, thanks again so much for joining us today. Uh, remember, uh, we'll be joining you every day at 1215 uh, with our daily devotionals. Dave and I will. We want to remind you about Wednesday night, 630. Be sure to join us in our congregational time of prayer. And then on Friday, our church-wide Good Friday service, biblechapel.org. Check out all the times. And we love you guys. We miss you. Can't wait to be together again. Uh, we are so glad that we are doing this together and we're going to get through it together. Father, we thank you that you're God who loves us, who cares for us. We thank you that you raised Jesus from the dead and we celebrate his resurrection. We celebrate ours as well. Thank you, Lord, for meeting with us today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.